It is great to uh, come and worship together, even on a cold uh, Sunday morning, and so we are so glad you have made it here in person. Those of you who are watching online, we're glad you have joined us as, as well. Brian Chappelle, a pastor from Illinois, um, tells a story about a seminary classmate uh, of his whose wife... Um, worked as a quality control inspector at a pharmaceutical company um, uh, in order to support their family. While he was in seminary, she was working as this quality control inspector. One day, um, through uh, uh, there was a mistake in procedures. A major order of syringes at her company uh, was contaminated, and they wouldn't pass inspection. When she reported the contamination to her boss, um, her boss quickly uh, computed the cost of reproducing the order and made a uh, you know, cost-effective uh, decision. Ship the order, he said. He ordered her to sign the inspection clearance despite the contamination. She refused. Because of government regulation, this friend's wife uh, was the only one who could sign the clearance. So the syringes um, did not ship on that day. The next day, a Friday, she got a visit from the company president. The company president said he would give her the weekend to think about um, what she had done, to think it over. But if the forms were not signed on Monday, her job would be in jeopardy, he threatened. In fact, as they thought about it, much more was in jeopardy for this couple. This inspection job um, was their only means of support. While he was in school, that was their only means of support. The husband's education and his, his ministry future was also in jeopardy. All their hopes and all their dreams and family plans for many years could be shattered as a result of the choice to be made over those next two days. For this young couple, um, all that abstract doctrinal instruction that they had received in seminary classroom um, about a personal consecration and about credible witness, it boiled down to this one very real decision that they had to make. Could they afford to remain undefiled from contamination the world was urging them to approve? Was the witness of holiness worth what it would cost them? That couple's predicament, I got to tell you, was not unique to them, was it? Um, in all ages, God's people are pressured to pollute the purity of their dedication to God. The pressures come from a lot of potential sources, um, uh, bosses, uh, finances, uh, competitors, friends, relatives, spouses, congregations, uh, our own desires for success and significance. This couple uh, faced such pressures. My guess is you faced them as well. 
Christ followers throughout the uh, centuries have faced these type of pressures. The pressures that face anyone who will seek to live an undefiled uh, life in a world of sin. That's why the Apostle Peter in his uh, first letter speaks so plainly about resolve and risk and reward. Resolve to do what's right, risk to do what's right, and hold on to the reward for standing firm and doing what is right. I invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. 1 Peter, you'll find that near the end of, your, uh, of the New Testament. Um, 1 Peter chapter 4. And here Paul, uh, what Peter does here is begins by telling us to look at Christ's example. Look with me, verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Um, there's our word sense. We're in this uh, little series titled uh, Good Sense. <laughs> and what we've been doing in this uh, series, we finish it up today, is simply looking at some different passages in Scripture, verses that start with this word sense, S-I-N-C-E, Okay? And, and, and one of the things I would encourage you to do in the future is when you run across this word since, when you're reading your Bible, is to, to take a little moment and say, okay, what's the past truth that that is referring to, that, that, that phrase, that sentence? What's the past truth that's referring to? And how are we to behave accordingly? Here, the word is since, since Christ suffered. That's the past truth, is that Christ suffered. The Bible tells us there are a lot of different reasons um, for suffering in our world. Um, one reason is because uh, of the effects of sin. I mean, when Adam and Eve uh, sinned at the very beginning, not only did they create a moral problem between God and, and humankind, but they also... Um, uh, ruined God's perfect creation. I mean, it just turned it upside down. So, in other words, creation doesn't work uh, like it's supposed to. Um, this world we live in is, is, is a broken world. So there are Hurricane Ians, and there is a, a cancer that strikes just kind of out of the blue, and, and uh, computers that, that break down, you know, all the time. <laughs> The world doesn't operate as right as it should. So, as a result, we suffer. A second reason for suffering in our world is because of the sin of others. Um, sometimes, see, we suffer um, for what other people do. So, listen, if you're involved in an automobile accident, uh, automobile accident in which the other driver was drunk, you end up paying the price for the other person's sin. A third reason that we might suffer is because of our own sin. Um, we pay the price for our own bad decisions. So, let's say hey, you get drunk and you have an accident and then you suffer for your own sins. <laughs> Some of you might be suffering today because of bad decisions, poor decisions you made this past week. Um, others of you might still be paying um, 
the consequences for some bad decisions, things that you did, I mean, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. And so we suffer. A fourth reason that we might suffer is because as, as a believer, you stand opposed to sin. Um, and this fourth type of suffering is the kind of suffering that Peter is talking about here in this passage. Now understand something. While the first three types of, of suffering are things that, you know, we want to avoid, things we want to, we want to get away from, um, this fourth kind of suffering is something that um, we're encouraged. Scripture encourages us to embrace. Jesus suffered, he says, in the flesh. Now listen to this. Not because of his sins. I mean, Jesus was perfect, right? He suffered in the flesh, not because of his sins, but because he stood up and against others' sins. Every day, Jesus, he'd wake up and he chose to do what was right. He resolved to follow the, the will of God. And as a result, he suffered. She says, so how are we to stand up um, against the pressures of society? Um, how are we to live undefiled in this world that we live in, this world of, uh, of sin? And Peter says here, resolve to do what is right. Resolve to follow Christ's example. Look again with me at verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. That phrase there, arm yourself, um, is a metaphor. Uh, it's a picture of a, of a soldier uh, preparing to go out for battle. And what he does then is he puts on his armor. <laughs> We're to put on the, the same frame of mind as Jesus had. That's our armor. We're to prepare, to prepare ourselves with um, Christ's attitude. You say, well, what kind of attitude was that? Well, the kind of attitude that resolved to stand for what was right. The kind of mindset uh, that said no to sin. Peter's talking about making a firm decision to stand for what is right. There's a word for that in, in the spiritual uh, life. It's called conviction. A conviction is a moral Code with a mighty resolve. It's a decision to, to draw a line in the sand and a, a, a powerful resolve that says, listen, I, I know what I believe and I'm not going to be pushed across that line. I'm going to stand firm for what is right. So no matter what others say or, or no matter what uh, the culture, how strong the culture pushes me, I'm not going to cross that line. These days, um, I'm afraid that too many of us <laughs> um, are people of preference rather than people of resolve. I'm afraid too many of us have um, very few convictions. Preference is um, oriented towards convenience where um, conviction is oriented towards sacrifice. We prefer preferences, don't we? <laughs> I mean, we, we know what's right, and 
we're sure we can tell the difference between right and, and, and wrong, but we develop very few convictions. And so consequently, consequently when the pressure comes, <laughs> um, what happens is we cave, we, we, we give in. And then our walk ends up not matching our talk. The challenge is being willing to acknowledge that what you lose by sacrificing is far less than what you lose from compromising. I love the story of Daniel's three friends in the Old Testament. You know, remember those, the names of those friends? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? <laughs> I mean, they're three friends. They, they, their name, they, they, I mean, flow together in that old Sunday school song, right? And also those three friends, they had this resolve, if you remember the story, a resolve. They had this conviction. I mean, the king had made this rock-solid decree that everybody was to worship his idol. And if they didn't, then they would have to be thrown into the, that fiery furnace, but those three guys, they refused. They stood by their moral code with a mighty resolve. And they said, oh, king, oh, king, listen, if we are thrown into that blazing furnace, the God we serve will be able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, oh, king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. <laughs> These three guys, they, they weighed the odds. They realized that eternally speaking, they had far more to lose by compromising than they had to gain. You know, as I thought back to that story, I, I wondered, you know, there's a lot of other men that uh, were taken from, from uh, Israel to Babylon. You, you, don't you think? There was a lot of other guys that were, were captured and taken over to Babylon. So why don't we know any of their names? I wonder if it isn't because they failed to stand by their convictions. And so God overlooked them. And instead, God chose to highlight the men who stood by their mighty resolve, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. <laughs> Peter is telling us here, develop a conviction, a resolve to do what's right. Arm yourself with Christ's same attitude towards sin. But be warned I got to warn you, holding a conviction, uh, it will cost you. There is risk in having a mighty resolve to do what's right. There was for Daniel's three friends, right? I mean, they ended up getting thrown into that fiery furnace after all. There was for Jesus um, as he faced Satan out in that wilderness, uh, a starving Jesus could have turned those, stove, uh, those stones that were all around him into loaves of hot, fresh bread. <laughs> and you think, uh, you know, death by chocolate cake is a temptation. <laughs> Nothing compared to what Jesus was facing. But Jesus would not compromise. 
I mean, he refused to give in. Resolving to follow his father's will, it cost him. It cost Jesus his reputation. It cost Jesus physically with all the floggings and and beatings. And ultimately, it cost him his life when he was nailed to the cross. Why? Because Jesus refused to go with the flow. He endured suffering. He stood firm and resolute with conviction. Listen, if you decide to become a person of conviction, there is a risk involved. It'll probably cost you something to have a, a, a conviction, to, to be resolved, to do what's right. In fact, look with me at what Peter says here in verses 3 and 4. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the flood of debauchery and they malign you. Um, Peter lists all kinds of sins here that once characterized these you know, believers that he's writing to, their lives, uh, their sexual sins and excessive drinking and idolatry, some of the more obvious lusts of the flesh. And he warns them, listen, that if you draw a line between you and lust, if you draw a line between you and, and drunkenness, if you draw a line between you and idolatry, if you draw a line between you and, and, and cheating in the workplace, if you draw a line between you and sin, it's going to cost you something. Because the world around you will think it's strange that you do not participate with them in their sin and they will abuse you. He uses the word, they will malign you. (laughs) Those who do not share your convictions will wonder why you're not jumping into the pool of sin with them. Instead of applauding your resolve, they'll mock you for it. They'll begin to judge you and make fun of you and uh, whisper behind your back, hey, what's wrong with him? I mean, what's her problem? (laughs) And you'll have to bear the judgment of others. Now, sadly, I got to tell you, this, this, uh, this doesn't just happen out in the world, but it also happens way too often in the church in here. You become convicted about something. Maybe it's about the movies that you are watching or the gossip that you find yourself enjoying too much. And so you you refuse to participate. And even those on the inside, those in the church will begin to wonder what's happened. They'll begin to wonder, hey, have you gotten too good for us? Too goody two-shoes? Too holier than thou? And oftentimes, you have to bear the abuse, the suffering. And listen, the reason why it happens is when a person chooses to live with biblical convictions, it shines a light on the sins of others. It shines a light on those who hold no convictions. (laughs) So Peter here, he's telling us, hey, friends, get ready. 
Arm yourself. Be resolved. If you want to follow God's will and begin to draw lines in your life, understand that there's a risk involved and be prepared to suffer for it. Outside the church and even inside the church, be ready. But there's good news here. I got to tell you, there's good news here. When you resolve to imitate Christ and live with biblical convictions, there's not only risk, but, but Peter also says there's a reward. In fact, back in chapter 3, verse 14, listen to what he says. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, that's conviction, right? He says, then you will be blessed. If you decide to stand your ground on the things that matter to God, you will be blessed, he says. And what are the blessings? <laughs> well, three blessings, three rewards that Peter uh, gives us in these verses that we're looking at this morning. Uh, first is you'll live free from sin. Look with me again at verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You say, well, what's Paul talking, or Peter talking about here? I mean, is Peter telling us that if, that if you form biblical convictions that you'll never sin? No, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying um, you'll be sinless, but he is saying you will sin less. What he means when he says there, you cease to sin, is that the person who holds fast to biblical convictions holds on to the freedom of Christ. The freedom that Jesus secured for us at the, at the cross. I mean, think about it. When Jesus died and he rose from the dead, what happened? A lot of things happened. Well, one of the things that happened was he freed us from the penalty of sin, and he also freed us from the power of sin. So when I professed faith in Jesus Christ, when I was nine years old, Jesus said, Sutton, you are free. You don't have to give in to the power of sin anymore. Now listen, practical advice. If I don't pay attention to my spiritual life, I will trip into sin on a, on a regular basis. So will you. But if I'm conscious of living in the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit, as Paul tells us out of Galatians chapter 5, um, my convictions then give me some boundaries in my life. So when I make the decision to say yes to God, at the same time, I make the decision to say no to sin. And when I do that, my sin is left back at the cross, and I get to enjoy the freedom that Jesus has already secured for me. See, you will not be sinless, but you will sin less. So let me give you just a, real quickly, uh, some, some practical um, ideas, some practical advice. You know, you say, so how do you form these biblical convictions? Well, <laughs> I would say, first of all, start somewhere. I mean, there's uh, limitless opportunities uh, to, to form convictions about uh, all sorts of things. Um, you know, how do I handle my speech? Um, 
How do I handle my business? Uh, how much is enough to drink? Um, uh, you know, what shows on TV should I watch and which ones should I not watch? Uh, I mean, all kinds of areas where you could make some biblical convictions. But here's my guess. My guess is that God's probably already speaking to you about one or two specific areas. Maybe it's the way you spend money. Or maybe it's the way you look at those who are different than you. Or maybe it's in the area of purity. So ask, Lord, what's the area that I need to shore up? And then second, research what the Bible says about that area. I mean, what's the Bible say about marriage? What's the Bible say about purity? What's the Bible say about, about speech? Take some time and look those verses up and, and, and study them and see what God says. And third, I, I would advise you to seek out wise counsel. You know, someone who is maybe one step, two steps ahead of you in the spiritual journey and, and approach them and ask them, say, hey, listen, tell me how you, how you handle dealing with your finances. Tell me um, how you handle forgiveness. Tell me, um, you know, how, how do you handle the struggle with pornography? And tell them, I, I want to learn from you. See, one of the great Places, I got to tell you, that I have found that this kind of thing happens is in our adult community groups or our small groups. So I encourage you to get connected, get in relationships where you can begin to ask for wisdom in these areas as you form your convictions. Fourth, I would say set your standard then. Determine what the boundaries are. What are the things that you, you, you will not do and what are the things that you are free to do? Where do you want to set your convictions? Where, where do you want to put the line down in, in, in the sand? Listen, by the way, can I tell you something? The boundaries that I set for myself in some of these uh, uh, biblical gray areas may be different than the boundaries that another person, let's say, for example, Pastor Jay, <laughs> might set. That's okay. Listen, you don't have to live my convictions. I have to live my convictions. I don't have to live your convictions. You have to live your convictions. So set your standards. And finally, I would say pray for wisdom and courage and, and put it into practice. Say, God, I've always said yes to my friends, but now I want to say yes to you. So help me put this into practice. Help me be ready to face and stand up to the pressure when it comes. See, every time you say yes to the Lord, you'll begin to live in the freedom that Jesus Christ has secured for you at the cross. That's the first reward, free from sin. Second reward is this. If you resolve to do what's right, you will do the will of God. Look with me at verse 2. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Anybody here ever ask the question, um, what's the will of God for my life? <laughs> my guess is all of us have, right? We all want to know what God's will is. Well, let me give you a hint. Um, God's will is that 
he is glorified. God's will is that he is made big in your life. God wants us to make decisions that glorify him. He wants us to say, God, I want to make much of you. I can tell you, if you don't want to make much of God, if you don't want God's will, then go ahead and do whatever you want. Hold no convictions. But if you want to make God big in your life, then you need to form biblical convictions. Peter says the person who resolves to do right no longer lives life for themselves and their own passions but they live for the will of God. Live for the will of God. (laughs) When I form and stand firm on the convictions of God, every time I say yes to God, what I'm doing is I'm honoring him. I'm glorifying him. I'm making him big in my life. A third reward. You can stand unashamed in the end. Look with me at what what Peter says here in verses 5 and 6. But they will give an account, give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Peter here, what he's doing is he's talking about these pagans, right? They're laughing and, and scoffing and looking down their noses at these Christ followers who are standing resolved in their convictions. And, and, and Peter is reminding them, hey, listen, they're going to have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Those who are laughing at you and those who are are abusing you because you refuse to follow them into the flood of debauchery, one day they will have to stand before God. The truth is all of us will, right, one day. All of us one day will have to stand before God and our lives will become this, this, this open book. Every single thing we've ever done will be seen by God. Our lives will be opened up and we'll stand before God accused. And by ourselves, if we stand only by ourselves, none of us will escape judgment. So the gospel was preached, <laughs> Peter says. It was preached so that people can begin living for, for God through Jesus Christ. And although they might be harassed and mocked and, and ridiculed because of Christ's sacrifice, they will be able to stand before God unashamed. And friends, can I tell you something? I gotta be honest with you. I would rather bear the scrutiny and judgment of people so I can stand blameless under the scrutiny of God in the end, wouldn't you? I'd rather have people roll their eyes because I'm not following them so that in the presence of God, I might hear him say to me, well done, good and faithful servant, wouldn't you? There's a fictitious manual for Peace Corps volunteers (laughs) as someone put together Uh, Peace Corps volunteers that are headed down to uh, South America that offer some advice on how to handle a chance encounter with uh, an anaconda snake. Uh, The list of instructions under the heading of what to do if attacked by an anaconda. Number one, 
There's 10 here. 10, 10 things you need to do. One, if you're attacked by an anaconda, do not run. The snake is faster than you are. Number two, lie flat on the ground. Number three, put your arms tight at your side and your legs tight against one another. Number four, the snake will begin to climb over your body. Number five, do not panic. <laughs> Number six, the snake will begin to swallow you from feet end. Remember, this is fictitious, okay? Just... Just kind of remind you that. Um, number six, or number seven, step six will take a long time. Number eight, after a while, slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and very gently slide it in the snake's mouth. Then suddenly sever the snake's head. Number nine, be sure your knife is sh sharp. <laughs> number 10, be sure you have your knife. <laughs> I got to tell you, friends, um, you never know. You never really know what, life, what curves life will throw at you, what's lurking around the corner. But listen, life will certainly throw curves at you. And when you're tempted to give in to the pressures of sin and go along with the crowd, and you'll be tempted, believe me, you need to know what to do. If you wait until a crisis hits, because it will hit, you've waited too long. You need to be prepared first. That's what Peter's saying. Be prepared. Be resolved to stand against sin. And for the will of God. Ahead of time. Be ready. Put on the armor. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking as Jesus Christ. As Jesus said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Might we all be ready? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this reminder, this charge that you are giving us to arm ourselves with the attitude of Jesus Christ, to be prepared to have conviction, to resolve, to be ready to suffer because we are standing against sin. Lord, might you help us through your Holy Spirit come to that place where we determine those convictions. I pray that for each one of us. Might your Holy Spirit speak to us. Speak to us so we can apply it to our lives. God, so that we would do your will and honor you in all that we do and say. In your son's precious name, we pray these things. Amen.